Welcome to Convention Pulpit, Wesleyan Voices Past and Present, brought to you through the Ministry of Inner Church Holiness Convention. Visit our website for an entire library of great sermons and more information on this ministry, www.ihconvention.com. Dan Stetler has been mightily used of God down throughout the years as a pastor and evangelist and a Bible college president. This sermon was preached in 1987 at the God's Bible School and College Fall Revival, and he titles it, The Road Marked My Way. I know you will enjoy this wonderful sermon. Keep passing it on and on. I want to say thank you to every one of the students. I tried to preach to you this week. I've not intentionally ignored anybody, but I, the burden of my heart throughout this week has been that God would help us, that students would find their way to a real settled work of God's grace in their hearts. And I believe some of you really have. That's been a real thrill. I want to appreciate, I want to tell you how much I appreciate your cooperation. I told Brother Miller earlier, I said, it's been easy to preach. We haven't sung an invitation song all week. Just people obeying God and doing what they knew they ought to do. It's no wonder God's helped us. It's no wonder we've had good offerings. It's no wonder the services have been clear and free. When people mind God, that's the way it is. That's the way it is. I want you to know I really appreciate that. It's been a real joy and pleasure to be here this week, and I appreciate the way the Lord has helped us together. I appreciate your, your generous love offering that you gave. I, I, just can't express, I just can't express my appreciation enough for that. I, uh, I don't want to be excessively personal, but my wife and I sent our little boy to school last year I think we got a case of empty house syndrome. You know what that is? No, you don't know. Well, when you send the last one you've got away to school, you'll find out. <laughs> and uh, my wife and I decided that the years weren't treating us very nice, and if we were going to add any more children to our family, we better get started. So we did. And that little girl turned our world upside down. I mean, she stood it on its head. <laughs> She'd stay awake at night, sleep in the daytime, and scream in church, and all kinds of things, you know. But uh, since the last of our children was born, we had a change in our insurance plan. And uh, I found out that those people were so generous, they were going to let me help pay for that baby. <laughs> so your kind love offering will help me do that. I really appreciate it. I really, really do. Well, this is the last night, and in a sense, my voice is telling me it's relieved that it's the last night. But I'll tell you what, I, I thought before I started this week, I thought, what in the world am I going to preach two times a day all week long? 
But you know, there, there are other things that I wish I had a chance to talk to you about. But the Lord knows and all things fit into his timetable. So we're down to the last night. Now I know we've made progress and I know the Lord's helped us. And I know there are a number of you who've really plowed through to some good, clear victory. I think there's some of you that are still battling. I think there's some of you that maybe haven't, maybe haven't moved the way you should have. It'd be a tragedy to have sat through a meeting with God's help like he's given it this week and miss really making some spiritual strides, wouldn't it? It really, really would. You know, one of the things that breaks the hearts of people who give their lives to make places like God's Bible School reality is the fact that sometimes the young person with so much promise, the one who has so much potential, somewhere along the line, they jump the track and they miss the mark and they go the wrong way. I want to talk to you about how to keep from doing that tonight. The way I want to do that is by talking to you about someone who did. I'm not talking to you about this tonight because I feel like you're at that point. I'm talking to you tonight about this because I don't want you to get to that point. So I'd like for you to turn with me to the Old Testament, if you would, to the book of 2 Samuel. 2 Samuel chapter 1. In this chapter, three times, David laments the fall of Saul and his sons. And he uses a, a phrase that he repeats in these different occasions. One of them is in verse 19. I'm not going to take the time to read all of the, the passage tonight. I'll let you read that later. I would have read verses 17 to 27. But if you look in verse 19, the last part of that verse, Dave, David asked the question, how are the mighty fallen? Again, in verse 25, he says, How are the mighty fallen in the midst of battle? And in verse 27, How are the mighty fallen and the weapons of war perished? I think God has given us enough information about this man Saul that we can get some idea as to what caused this man who started so well to tumble from that pinnacle of having been so helped and so blessed by God to the tragic end that he finally came to. If you were to look at the first part of Saul's life, you would think that here is one of the most outstanding men that, that will ever grace the pages of Holy Scripture. For example, when, when you began to read in the early part of, of, of Saul's life, chapter 9 of 1 Samuel, you get down to the second verse of that chapter and, and you read there that, that God says to Samuel, there's not a better person in all of Israel than this man Saul. Not a better person. Now, I don't know who the best person is in this crowd tonight. I suppose we could construct some criterion for judgment and we could begin to evaluate people and after an extended period of time, we could probably come up with our selection for the most outstanding student at God's Bible School or the finest person in this last night of revival service. But you know, no matter how well we plan, no matter how meticulous our evaluation, we could still be wrong, couldn't we? But God's never wrong. 
And when God looked over the masses, over the millions of people that made up the children of Israel at that particular time, he whispered in the prophet, in, in, in the ear of his prophet Samuel and said, Samuel, there's not a better person in all of Israel than this young man Saul. My, what a commendation for God to say that. Why, this is not even the prophet saying that. It's not the leaders of the land of Israel saying that. It's God himself saying, I can look at this young man's heart. I can look into the depths of his motive. I can see the, the deepest markings of his soul. And I say that this young man is better than all the rest of the people in the land of Israel. What a commendation. But you read on down in chapter 9 and you get to verses 16 and 17 and God says, because... He is the most outstanding person in all of Israel. I want him to be the king. Now, I talked to you this morning about how the people had turned their back on God and come to Samuel and said, we want a king so we can be like other nations. And God wasn't happy with that. But God decided to give them a king. And since he decided he wanted them to have the very best that there was to have, so he said to Samuel, I want you to take this young man, Saul, and anoint him with holy oil, and I want to exalt him to be the king over my people. If I'm not going to lead them, I want Saul to lead them. Again, I say that's a high commendation for God to give him a commendation by saying he's the finest of all, and for God to exalt him to be the king. It's nothing, nothing of any small nature. God knows a whole lot more than anyone else did. As you read on into chapter 10, you read there about Saul coming to Samuel. And as he turned to leave, the, the word gives us something amazing because it's in the Old Testament. But it says, God gave Saul another heart. God gave him a new heart. So he was not only divinely commended and divinely exalted, he was divinely changed. Why, he was the finest young man in the bunch to begin with. And then God gave him a new heart. You know, after he began to reign, after he began to lead the people, he was helped by God on every side. If you read over in chapter 14 and verse 47 of 1 Samuel, you'll read, you'll read that everywhere he turned, he vexed the enemies of the people of Israel. Everywhere he turned, he conquered the enemies of God. So you have a young man who was commended by God, saying he's the finest of all. You have a young man who was especially chosen by God to lead the children of Israel. This same young man was given a new heart, and God blessed him and helped him everywhere he turned. You might think, oh, a young man that started off so well as that could never lose his way. He'd never fall by the wayside and make shipwreck. I wish we could write Sine Die after that part of, of Saul's life. I wish we could say, this is the end. There's nothing more to tell. He went out in a blaze of glory, defeating God's enemies and liberating Israel and winning wars. I wish we could stop there. But the, the words of Scripture are so, so bluntly honest. So bluntly honest. It tells us how he started. It tells us how he was exalted. It tells us all the good things about him, but it gives us a brutal and honest truth about the other side of this man, Saul, and that is that this young man who started so well, this young man who had so much going for him, this young man whom God had blessed in such a remarkable way, lost his way, jumped the track, went out, went out from the presence of God and out from his blessing and out from victory and never made it back. 
I want us to look at this tonight. The reason I want us to look at it is because personally, I don't ever want to go this way. And then when I look at you, I think, oh, I don't want a one of you to go this way. I don't want one young person blessed of God and called of God to God's Bible school and helped around this altar of prayer and blessed with a calling to the ministry or blessed with a calling to some form of Christian service to ever get out there. And somebody say, oh, I wish we could have written the end of the story after the first few years. But you know the path is clear. It's no mystery what happened to Saul. It's as clear as clear can be. The first thing that Saul did was that he began to trifle with God. He began to deviate from God's explicit commands. Young person, young people, let me tell you tonight, you just can't go any other way but God's way and stay on the track. You just can't do anything other than what God tells you to do and make it to heaven. I know we're living in days of broad-mindedness. We're living in days of everything goes. We're living in days of general, generalized justifications until nothing's wrong anymore and everything's okay. But it's not okay. Saul didn't begin large, no. No, he was just an impetuous fellow, just in a hurry. And God had been helping him on every side, been battling the enemies and whipping the Philistines. And God was helping him on every front. And one day they were, they were lined up for battle. And the people of Israel had gathered in. And the Philistines were out there in the valley. And they were spread out. And the armies were in array. And they were waiting on Samuel, the slow prophet. Samuel didn't come. And Samuel didn't come. And Samuel didn't come. He was supposed to offer a sacrifice to God. And finally, in exasperation, as the people began to get nervous, Saul said, bring me the sacrifice. I'll offer it. So they brought him the sacrifice. And he offered the sacrifice. But the smoke had no sooner began to curl into the treetops than Samuel came around the bend. Saul's heart smote him, and he knew he shouldn't have done that. Samuel rebuked him, and he knew again he shouldn't have done that. You know, somewhere in the depths of Saul's soul, something happened. Something happened. Oh, he went on to battle, and he won. He continued to win. But the slide of his life had begun. You say, oh, that's such a little thing. Listen to me. The devil would like to get you to think that you're just going to drop off the edge out there somewhere. Oh, if you go wrong, you just kind of drop off. But young people, it doesn't work that way. It begins with little carelessness. It begins with little trifling. It begins with little disobedience. It begins with the insignificant thing. It begins with what everybody else is doing. It begins with a thing you're not dead sure about. It begins with trifling with God. And the, the sky doesn't go black all of a sudden and the sun doesn't hide itself all of a sudden. Sometimes you get in service and you may feel pretty good and other times you feel a check and praying doesn't always seem to be so good and you're struggling and battling, but you've started down the road of deviation. Now you know as well as I do that, that if you come to a Y in the road and you begin to make your decision and you decide to take the left-hand side of the Y, why, for a period of time, it's not far to the right-hand side. You can see over there. You can easily get back to that place. Why, it doesn't seem to be so bad. But oh, as you continue to go down that road, it gets further and further and further away. And that's exactly what happened to Saul. He deviated by offering the sacrifice, but he quickly moved on to bigger things. 1 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 4 tells us, uh, verse 9 rather tells us that God sent him down to work on the Amalekites. 
And he gave him clear commands. He said, I want you to go down there. Those people attacked the back parts of the Israelites and defeated the weak and the poor and the maimed. And he said, I want you to go down there and execute judgment on them. I don't want a thing that lives and breathes to come out of that town. We don't have time to turn aside and explain that tonight. But I'll tell you what, God's orders were clear. And Saul got down there. And Saul, the same Saul that took the sacrifice and offered it, took over again. And he said, it'd be a shame to kill all these fine, these fine uh, herds of cattle. It'd be a shame to kill all these good-looking sheep. Why? They're not moral beings. We'll just take them on back with us. We'll kill all the people, and we'll take them on back with us. And then he got to Agag. That slippery, slimy king who had sneaked around, the one who had led the, uh, who had been responsible probably for the, the rear quarters attack. And he thought to himself, like so many monarchs of that day, he thought, I'll take him back and make him my shoeshine boy. And I'll show people, here's great King Agag, and I've conquered him. Something's wrong in Saul's heart. He's forgotten all about what God said. It doesn't make any difference anymore. He can rationalize what he wants to do. So he kills all the people. Kills all the women and children and the men. He takes King Agag and he takes the best of the livestock and he goes back. But you know the tragedy is this thing is progressive because he was smitten with conviction and smitten with guilt the first time. But this time when Samuel comes around, Saul walks out with a blind face and he walks out to say, I have done the commandment of the Lord. He knew he hadn't done the commandment of the Lord or at least he should have known. I say he should have known because young people, when you start down the road of deviation, you get so you can make any kind of wrong look right. You say, preacher, I don't believe that. You just don't know. You just don't know. Why, well, I've heard people explain away everything. Visiting in the Lebanon Correctional Institute, there was a young man there who was there for murder. He pulled out a, a gun and shot a fellow in cold blood and killed him right in the middle of a bar room. They brought him up before the parole board. And he said to those people, why, that fellow was bullying other people and threatening their lives. You ought to thank me for blowing him away. They did. They sent him back for five more years. I talked, on a, I talked in a visitation cell in a prison uh, in, in Middletown to a young fellow. And this is what he said to me. He said, now, preacher, they caught me last night over in Finkelman's, over in the steel, new steel division over there. But he said, preacher, I want to tell you this much. I can say I've stolen a lot of stuff from a lot of people. He sure had. He'd been arrested for 18 burglaries in the state of Florida. That was after he'd been caught in three in, in the state of Ohio and jumped bail to go down, jumped jump parole to go down there. He said, I've stolen a lot of stuff. But he said, preacher, I always look at it this way. I've never hurt anybody. It's just the insurance companies paying. Now, when I stop and think about that, at first it struck me funny. And then I thought, how tragic. How tragic that a person can rationalize their behavior until they can do what they jolly well please and justify it. That's exactly what happened to Saul. The same Saul who had heard God's call. The same Saul whose heart God had changed. The same Saul who'd been blessed and helped. He came out and said to Samuel, Why, Samuel, uh, the people wanted to bring back those, those head of livestock for, for sacrifices. And we figured that'd be okay. And he brought out King Agag, or told about King Agag, and Saul had an explanation for that. But oh, the road of deviation was going further and further and further. Samuel 
the honest, faithful man. Oh, he wasn't hard on Saul because he hated him. You read the scripture, it tells of him weeping and weeping and weeping over that man. He said, Saul, to obey is better than sacrifice. To obey is always better than sacrifice, and it is. And he said, Saul, you have rejected God. You have rejected God's way. And because of that, God has rejected you. So you see, Saul's deviation led to a full-blown rejection of God's way in his life. And oh, young people, I want to tell you this morning, this evening, it doesn't matter how small the sin, it doesn't matter how little the issue, it doesn't matter how many people are doing it, it doesn't matter how you justify it, it doesn't matter what the devil foist off on you, the road of deviation always leads to rejection. It always leads to rejection. That's the only place that road goes. It doesn't go anyplace else. Saul simply got on the road and he walked down the road until he had found the place of full-blown rejection. Now the problem is in verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verses 20, verse 23, it tells us about Saul's rejection. But the problem is that Saul rejected God. But then there came a point where God left Saul alone. Now, I don't even like to think about that, let alone preach about it. I get no pleasure whatsoever about, in, in thinking about that kind of thing. And yet the stark realities of life and the stark realities of Scripture and the concern of my heart forces me to tell you there came a place in Saul's life where he said no to God and God said, all right. And you say, why would God ever do that? God never does that, friend, until you've said no to him, until you've set your heel, until you've taken your way, until you've said, I'm going to have my way no matter what it costs. You see, the road of deviation might be called the road marked my way. My way. <laughs> and Saul walked on down that road. Then he got to the place where he made up his mind he was going to do what Saul wanted to do. He was going to be what Saul wanted to be. He was going to fight like Saul wanted to fight and go where Saul wanted to go. And God said, all right, Saul. All right, Saul. One of the scariest verses in all of the Bible to me is the verse in Proverbs that says, the backslider in heart shall be filled with his own way. What that means is there can come a place when you turn your back on God, when you take the road of deviation, when you pass the point of rejection where God says, son, if you're going to go that way, I'm going to let you have your way. I'm going to give you exactly what you want. If you want your own way, if you want to call the shots, if you want to run the show, if you want to be in control, I'm going to let you. <laughs> you say, did that really happen? Did that really happen to Saul? Well, I, I'll tell you what. You get over in chapter 16 and verse 1 and you read there these solemn words. Samuel is weeping and praying and crying and begging God for Saul. And the Lord says, Samuel, how long will you pray for Saul seeing I have rejected him? When I read those solemn words, all of a sudden it begins to sink through to my thinking. God is saying, Samuel, don't pray for Saul anymore. Frankly, I've never felt that for anybody that I know of. There are some people that I have a hard time getting stirred up to pray over, but I've never had God say, don't pray for them anymore. You say, well, preacher, 
what in the world did Saul do to get to that place? Oh, I'm sure we don't have every minute detail of Saul's life, but I know this, it boiled down to taking the road, mark my way, the road of deviation, the road of his own will and his own way and his own choices and his own rationalization. And it came to the place where he said no to God. And God said, all right, Saul, all right. If you say no, it'll have to be no. Don't pray for Saul anymore. Well, what happened after that? Well, Saul had been filled with the Spirit. Saul had been blessed of God. Saul had been divinely changed. Saul had been a wonderful man. <laughs> but the Scripture tells us that Saul made a substitution because he'd substituted his own way for God's way. And the result of that substitution was that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Now somebody's going to say, well, how in the world does an evil spirit come from the Lord? Listen to me, will you? In, in every one of your lives, there's a, there's a divine plan for good and blessing and help. But there's also a demonic plan for destruction and demise and terrorizing your soul and dragging you down the wrong road. And the only thing that keeps you from going that way is the good protecting hand of God. I believe with all of my heart that God's got a hedge built around every one of us. I believe with all of my heart that the devil can only get so close. I believe with all of my heart there's some things the devil's not allowed to tempt you with. You say, well, preacher, I, how in the world I'm falling over temptation. Listen, the Bible tells me God will not allow us to be tempted above what we're able to bear. He draws lines on the devil and says, you can test him there and you can try him here, but you can't come any closer than that. And I'm convinced that what happened when Saul took his own way, when Saul became his own man, when Saul chose his own road, God took the hedge down. God just took the hedge down. And it was by the permissive will of God that the devil was able to come to Saul. Oh, the change in that man's life. Friend, when he substituted his way for God's way, he substituted an evil spirit for a divine spirit. You say, does that really happen to people? Do you think that really, really happens to people? Yes, sir, I do. There's a man who teaches at Indiana University in Indiana, Pennsylvania, or at least he did several years ago. My brother-in-law went to school there. And that man was raised in a church. That man was trained for the ministry. That man studied Hebrew and Greek. That man knew it backwards and forwards. But he somewhere along the line in his life, he backed up on God and went his own way. And there came a time when he just absolutely turned his back on God and he delighted to get young people in his class who had any, vis any vestige of faith, who had any concept of, of the authority of Scripture or the power of God. And he'd make a monkey out of them in front of all the rest of those kids. It was just like whatever had been there had fled and the devil had just taken control of that man. That's what happened to Saul. You remember the story. His people became worried about him. And they got David to come and play the harp. And David played beautifully. And Saul's spirit was eased. And the troubled mind that he had was, was set somewhat at rest. But oh, the evil spirit in him caused him one day to snatch a javelin off of the floor. And try to nail David to the wall with it. The evil spirit that had been permitted to come warped and twisted his life and took him down the wrong road. But you know, when a person makes that substitution, the inevitable result of that is degeneration. I don't know how many times I've had people say to me as a pastor, Pastor, I didn't think I'd ever do that. 
I didn't think I'd ever get in this place. I didn't think it would ever happen to me. I've wept with them. I've cried with them. I've tried to help them make adjustment. I've tried to help them find their way back. But oh, the tragedy of that kind of statement. I didn't think it would ever happen to me. I was called one day to a to a house across town and I walked into the house and the lady that lived in the bottom story said, the, the, the lady that wants to talk to you is next door. Go upstairs. Go up through the back entryway and go upstairs. So I went upstairs and there I found a woman sitting at a kitchen table and her eyes were red from crying. It was obvious she was deeply disturbed about something and I said, I said, uh, well, I, I understand you wanted to talk to me and she said, yes. And when she did, she dropped her head on the table and cried. I really hadn't, I'd seen the lady before, but I hadn't talked to her. And I didn't know what to say. I just sat there and she cried and she cried and she cried. And finally, she raised her head up with quivering chin and she said, Would you believe I used to be a Sunday school teacher? I said, Well, if you say so, I'd believe it. She said, I'm sure not a Sunday school teacher now. And she told me a sordid tale of living with a man and all of the complications and problems and debauchery that came from that thing. And she said to me, Preacher, how in the world did I ever get to this place? How in the world did I ever go from being a Sunday school teacher in church every Sunday, loving God, to being a slut hanging around with this man? That was her terminology. And I, I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to say. She said, I didn't think it would ever happen to me. I didn't think it would ever happen to me. Well, friend, I, I, I don't know. I pray God that somehow you'll reach that woman's heart. She's never come back. She's gone deeper and deeper and further and further. I saw her a few weeks ago, and she didn't even want to talk to me. She's further than she ever was. <laughs> But you know, when I look at the life of Saul, I see him as he progresses down the road, mark my way. I see him as he, as he gets to the place where he's trying to kill God's anointed. You see, David had been anointed to be king. And the same Saul who was chosen by God, the same Saul who had a changed heart, the same Saul who'd gone so well for a while, is now plotting and planning to kill God's anointed. Jealousy and say, that's, that's no big deal, that's... That's just a jealous man. But you go further and David is running from Saul now. And he stops down by where the priests live there, the city of Nob. And he stops and begs for mercy and help. And the priests give him something. And he takes it and goes on his way. Well, there's a fellow by the name of Doag that is watching. And he goes back and tells Saul about this. And Saul comes down there to the city of priests. And he starts in on them. And by the time it's over, there's been an awful slaughter in that town. And this same Saul, who was honored of God and chosen of God and called and exalted of God and helped of God in so many ways, now is killing God's priest and chasing God's anointed. <laughs> and I guess the climax of the tragedy of his life, and I can almost hear in my mind some of you saying, Preacher, you're carried away. That never happens to us. Oh, I wish you were right. I wish you were right but I know you're dead wrong. <laughs> so I walked on down the road, marked my way past the chasing of God's anointed and past the killing of priests. But we see him now as he's coming down toward the twilight time of his life. And he's had his own way. He's been able to fight his own battles. God's left him alone. Nobody's telling him what to do. Saul's in control now. 
But oh, he knows the Philistines are coming. He knows they're all around him. He sees the ominous clouds on the horizon and he tries to pray. You say, how do you know he tries to pray? Well, he says he tries to pray. He wishes he could dream a dream and see a vision. But oh, the tragedy is this same Saul who had once purged the land of witchcraft, driven out those with familiar spirits, forbidden wizardry. This same Saul slips out of the king's house and makes his way up across the dusty roads after dark in disguise and he finds a witch. And he finds this lady in the dark so nobody can see. And he asks her, he says, I, I need to see Samuel. Samuel's dead. I need to see Samuel. And she says, oh, I can't. The king, the king would kill me if he found out I was a witch. He, she said, I just can't do it. And he said, I've got to. I've got to know. <laughs> Finally, I don't understand all of that, but the woman does something and brings up some apparition. And, and Samuel or whoever says, why have you troubled me? And then we get Saul's own testimony we get the testimony that's way down there toward the end of the road Mark my way. And he stands there before whoever that was and he says, God has departed from me and he answers me no more, neither by prophets nor by dreams. <laughs> oh, Saul had been praying. Saul was interested. Saul was hungry. Saul needed help. But God was gone and all the praying in the world wouldn't bring him back and all the dreaming in the world wouldn't reinstitute those days that were gone forever. Oh, friend, the tragedy of taking the, mar the road of deviation, the road marked my way, the road that leads to rejection and substitution and degeneration. The thing that's awful about that road is you get just what you bargained for. <laughs> you get just what you want. You wanted your own way. You wanted to do what God didn't want you to do. You said yes when he said no. You said no when he said yes. And there came a time when your yes went and your no stood and nobody stood in your way. But now Saul wants a yes or a no. He wants some direction. And Samuel, Samuel's only word is, Saul, tomorrow you'll be with me. Tomorrow you'll be with me. Saul goes out to battle. You know the tragic story. He fights and he watches his sons drop. He watches the enemies, the uncircumcised men who are fighting against God. And it seems to me that somewhere in Saul's mind, something stands up, the irony of it. He remembers the day when there was power in that arm. and there was, there was judgment and vengeance in that sword. He remembers the day when God's thumb was in his back. He remembers the day when the anointing was on his life. He remembers the day when things were different. And somehow standing there on Mount Gilboa, everything around him laughs at him. He sees the and crouching enemy and it mocks him. He sees his own fallen army and it mocks him. He sees his own weakness and failure and it haunts him. And in the midst of all of that, he turns to his armor bearer and he says, son, don't let these uncircumcised Philistines kill me. Take my sword and run me through. And that boy says, no, sir, you're God's anointed. I wouldn't touch you. And so Saul takes his own spear. And I see him as he coolly, calculatingly sets the spear in the ground. He knows what he's doing. God's gone. There's nothing to live for. There's no way back. <laughs> and he sets the spear in the ground. And with one mighty massive lunge, he ends it all. <laughs> you say, preacher, that's a dismal picture. I know it's a dismal picture, but it's a biblical picture. <laughs> 
It's a picture that stands hauntingly at the end of the road. Mark my way. The road that starts with little things. The road that progresses to bigger things. The road that takes you to places you never thought you'd go. The road that opens doors you never thought you'd see through. Oh, down there in the end, Saul makes one mighty lunge into eternity. And he goes without God. Oh, it's no wonder David in his lament says, How are the mighty fallen? How are the mighty fallen? How did it ever happen to the man that God chose and God commended and God exalted and God changed? How did it happen? It happened with little, silly, trifling, incidental things that were deviations from God's explicitly stated will. There are some of you kids that are fighting over things that are little and trivial. And the devil says it doesn't matter. It's no big deal. It's just the preacher's idea. It's just the old phony notions of the school, friend. You be careful. (laughs) You be careful. (laughs) It may be some preacher's phony idea. It may be the old fogey ideas of the school. But all then again, it might be God dealing in your life. And that's the start of the road. Mark my way. My heart's cry to you tonight is, whatever you do, make sure you don't take the road marked my way. (laughs) Because out there somewhere, God gives people their way. God gives people their way. (laughs) Brother Miller called me one day and he said, there's a man in the hospital just up north of you. And I, his wife called me crying. They're backsliders. They used to go to my church. And he said, they want me to come pray with the man. Would you be able to go? I said, I would. So I'd never seen the man before, but I drove up to the hospital where he was and I found the coronary intensive care unit. And I walked into that unit. I talked to his wife. She was weeping and broken. I talked to his daughter and and his two sons and they were all weeping and broken. And I walked into the intensive care of the coronary section and I said to them, could I see this man and called him by name? They said to me, well, he's really in bad shape. He nearly died last night. We almost lost him. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. I don't know the man. I'm a minister. These people have been calling for a minister to see him. I'd appreciate it if you'd give me at least a little while to talk to him. So the nurse was very gracious. She said, all right, Reverend. All right, go on. Just be careful. If he seems to become agitated in things, please call us. So I walked into the little room, and there laying on the bed was a man that looked like he was already dead. His complexion was a pasty gray. His eyes were closed. His hands were folded on his chest. I walked to the end of the bed and touched him on the foot and called him by name, and the eyes fluttered open. And a very weak voice said, Well, hello, who are you? And I said, Do you know Ben Smiller, president of God's Bible School? He said, why, sure, he used to be my pastor. I said, he asked me to come. Your family's asked me to come and visit you. They tell me you're a very, very, very sick man. He said, yes, sir, that's right. I nearly died last night. I'm fortunate to even be here. And I talked to him a little while about his heart condition, and he told me about his heart attacks and things. And finally I said, I understand you've been a Christian at some time in the past in your life. And he said, yes, sir, that's right. We served the Lord for years. But he said, I don't know how to explain it. I guess just little things. We let it slip away. 
And I said, well, God in his mercy has spared your life, given you this golden opportunity. Wouldn't you like to get back to him? Wouldn't you like for me while, while I'm standing right here to pray for you and, and God to come back into your heart? And so whatever comes when you go to surgery tomorrow, whatever goes, it'd be okay. And he looked at me. Then he looked up toward the corner of the room and he didn't say anything for a minute and he closed his eyes, opened them and looked back at me and he said, Preacher, this is an awful thing to say. But he said, I... I just don't have any concern. I just don't have any concern. You could have hit me in the head with a hammer and I wouldn't have been any more stunned. Here was a man that was a few hours away from eternity's door. Here was a man raised in a pilgrim hole in his church. Went enough till he was really saved and he knew what God could do for him. But somewhere little things had gotten in just like they did with Saul. And they'd gotten him off the track. And now he's standing here facing a Christless eternity. And he says to me, preacher, I really don't have a concern. I said, Mr. Morgie. I want to pray that God will give you a concern. <laughs> That's all I knew to say. And I stood there beside that bed and I prayed the best way I knew how. Oh, God, have mercy on this man and give him a concern for his soul. I squeezed his hand. He thanked me and I walked out. And as I walked through those doors, I thought, I thought, I can't believe it. <laughs> I just don't have a concern. I just don't have a I don't know how people get down that road except that they take the road that Saul took. Deviation leads to rejection and rejection leads to substitution and substitution leads to degradation and degeneration. <laughs> and the end of it is an awful destruction. Young people, I don't believe you're on that road this evening. I don't believe you are. Some of you may be rebelling. But oh, young people, if there are unsettled issues in your life, if there are things you're battling over, if there are things that God is saying yes to and you're pulling back on, don't start down the road of deviation. That's the road marked my way. And it's a road that leads into the dark, <laughs> the dark for eternity. Shall we stand together, please? <laughs> Our Heavenly Father, we look to you tonight. You know that the enemy would encamp around about us just like the angel of the Lord would encamp around about us. But Lord, I pray that you would draw lines on him tonight. <laughs> I pray that you would set up barriers tonight. I pray that you would keep back the forces of evil this evening and give our young people one more time a spirit to mind God, a spirit to settle issues, a spirit to drive stakes, a spirit to go out of this revival in a blaze of glory and victory which comes with giving our all to the Lord. Don't let one of us miss it. Don't let one person go out of here. Oh, God, for thy glory and honor's sake we pray, and we'll give you all of the praise, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Young people, as we're standing here tonight with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want you to examine your own heart. I want you to ask yourself, is, are there issues in my soul that are unsettled? Are there things that I just haven't driven the stake on? <laughs> are there things that I'm not sure about tonight? <laughs> 
Are there restitutions I'm wavering over? Is there bitterness in my heart? Is there a spirit of pride and arrogance? Oh, young people, I can't cover the whole list tonight. But I would just say to you, if there's anything wrong, don't walk out of this revival down the road, mark my way. (laughs) Don't walk out of this revival down the road, mark my way. Is it clear? Is it sure? I don't want to talk you out of a thing. But oh, young people, I don't want you to go out of here unclear and unsure. I don't want you to go out with question marks in your soul. I don't want you to go out with a cloud the size of a man's hand on the horizon. I want you to go out of here in a blaze of heavenly glory with issues settled and flags on your stakes that are driven to the hills and victory in your soul and the witness of the Spirit to hold you in the days to come. Oh, oh, let the Lord help you tonight. Don't walk the road, mark my way. Whatever you do, don't walk that road tonight. (laughs) Don't walk the road, mark my way. I know you're not there, but if you never start, you'll never get there. If you never make the first deviation, you'll never make the last rejection. (laughs) If you never quench him out of your life, he'll never say, stop praying. We could fill the pages of volumes with the tragic stories of young people who walked out of God's Bible school and blew it. (laughs) Who walked out of God's Bible school and blew it. (laughs) They walked out after singing the glory down. They walked out after preaching with unction. They walked out after learning in class. But they walked out down the road marked my way. The road marked my way. Don't take that road tonight. I don't want to take for granted the heritage of holiness that has been passed on. I don't want to lose the fire. Thank you for listening to Convention Pulpit, a ministry of Interchurch Holiness Convention, featuring Wesleyan voices past and present. For more sermons or for more information, visit www.ihconvention.com. This ministry is made possible through the financial support of our listeners. You may give online at ihconvention.com or send your donation to IHC, Post Office Box 99, New Berlin, Pennsylvania, 17855 USA.